Let's turn in our Bibles, if you would, this morning to the book of Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, as we are just getting into the book of Acts here in our study, and we come now to this very interesting account in Acts chapter 3 of a man who is healed by the power of God. And this brought great attention to the gospel. Of course, this is following right on the heels of the day of Pentecost. As many had gotten saved, the church had grown greatly by this point. And in Acts chapter 3, we find another encounter which became a springboard for the preaching of the gospel. And so I'm actually going to read the entire chapter as our text this morning. It's a little bit lengthy, but... It really all fits together, and so I hope that you'll pay close attention to the words as I read the text, and remember that as we're reading the text, this is God's Word, and He is communicating something to us through His Word, so we want to pay close attention to what God says. Don't dismiss that as, well, that's just the preliminary part of the message and not as important. Actually, this is the most important part. The rest of it is what we're going to say about God's Word, but we want to pay close attention to what God actually says here in Acts chapter 3. So I hope you have your Bible open and look there in verse number 1. The Scripture says this, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and They knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, And killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, 
whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Now, it's an astounding miracle that took place. Described in the first 11 verses as Peter and John were coming to the temple. And of course, Peter and John were two of the apostles, two of the leaders of the church here at Jerusalem. They were coming into the temple, which was the place, the center of worship there in Jerusalem, the place where the Jews gathered together in order to worship God. And Peter and John were coming to that place to pray. And as they were coming, the Bible tells us that there was a man in verse number two who had a problem. He could not walk. And evidently, this was a congenital problem or something that happened at birth. But this man had been lame, not, not able to walk for his entire life from the time that he was an infant. And now at this point, uh, he is in a place where, of course, in that society and in that culture, he couldn't work a job. Uh, there wasn't anything that he could do to support himself except to sit in a prominent place and to ask for people to have pity upon him. And that was what was going on with this man. They had evidently for a long time had brought him and laid him every day at a certain gate that went into the, the area of the temple. Uh, that particular area of the temple was known as Solomon's Court. Uh, it's also called the Court of the Gentiles. And this man would lay there and when people would come by, he would try to call out and gain their attention and hopefully their pity Hopefully these who were coming as worshipers of God would have some pity upon him and would give him some coins or something that would help him in his time of need. 
So as Peter and John were coming by, this man who is accustomed to asking for pity saw Peter and John. And they were about to go into the temple. And it says that he called out to them and he asked them for some alms. Now what's interesting is in the next verse that Peter fastened his eyes upon this man with John and he said to this man, look on us. And I want you to picture the scene in your mind as this man is laying there on the ground. No doubt he's ashamed about his condition. He doesn't want to make people feel bad, yet at the same time, he's completely dependent upon the benevolence of others. And you can almost picture this man kind of keeping his eyes cast down to the ground as he calls out for people and maybe looking up once in a while to see if anyone is close. He saw Peter and John, and it seems like he put his head down and said, an alms, would you give an alms for the poor? But Peter and John walked over to him, and they looked at this man, and they saw him. There's something, there's a scriptural truth here about how we see people. And Peter and John asked this man to look at them. And then Peter spoke to this man, and he said to him, I don't have any silver or gold. I don't have any money to give to you, except I have something better. And so he spoke to this man, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then he reached down and took this man by the right hand and lifted him up. And the Bible says, immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now, if you've ever had a broken bone, you know that's not how it works unless there's a miracle. Unless God is doing something miraculous, this is not how you expect this to happen. Maybe, maybe weeks of therapy if everything is healed. Uh, maybe learning how to walk. This man had never walked in his life. And Peter lifted him up and this man is now standing. And not only is he standing in verse 8, it says he leaped up and he stood and he walked and he entered with them into the temple walking and leaping and praising God. So you can imagine that this is drawing a fair amount of attention. This man is not being quiet. He, he's not being docile or, or, or just, you know, kind of keeping a low-key profile. This man has just received his ability to walk after never walking in his life, and he knows that God has done a miracle for him. So Peter and John are walking with him, and this man is, is leaping. I, I kind of picture it like, you know, he's giddy like a, like a child. When my boys get wound up and they get excited about things. They get like jumping beans in their shoes and their pants and they're, they're just jumping and, and they're doing this kind of thing. And that's kind of how I picture this guy. He's walking with Peter and John and he's like, Woo-hoo-hoo! look at me, I can jump, I can jump, look at my legs. I mean, you've got to use a little imagination. But if you had never walked, what would you do? Yeah, I got healed. Look at me, I can walk. No, I mean, he's excited. And everybody else is looking. They're thinking, what is going on over there? Why is that person excited? What's happening? And of course, when they looked and they saw, they said, we know that guy. He's been laying out at the gate for as long as we could remember every day. He's never been able to walk and 
all of a sudden he can walk and pretty soon the news spreads like wildfire through the temple grounds. Hey, there's something going on over in Solomon's porch. We got to get over there and find out that guy who lays at the gate, who's always lame. He's walking and leaping and praising God. Something is happening. I mean, when God does something, it gets people's attention. And so they gathered around and Honestly, we could spend some time making some applications and thinking about this man and what happened to him. But you know, as I studied Acts chapter 3, as miraculous as it was what happened, that is not the focus of this passage. The focus of this passage is actually on what was preached after everybody who was curious gathered around. And I want you to think with me for just a few minutes this morning about this miracle and what it meant and what the message was that God had for them and for us. Now, sometimes when we read accounts like in Acts chapter 3, we're caught up with the sensational side of it. And make no mistake about it, it's sensational. For God to give someone the ability to walk, who has never walked. And in an instant, in a moment, uh, for their, their, this man's healing to be so obvious and plain, this is quite sensational. But I think it's important that we ask, why? My mind, as I was studying this passage, I thought, this guy, if he's been laying at this gate every day, And he's been doing this evidently for a long time because he's been lame from his mother's womb. You know what I thought? Is that at some point, I imagine Jesus walked by this man with his disciples. I imagine the disciples have seen him here before. The implication of the text is that he's been here for a long time. And you might say, well, why didn't Jesus heal him before? He healed many people during his ministry. Well, God has his ways and God has his time. And this was the right time and this was the right way to promote the purpose of God, which is actually what is going to happen after this. Which is why I want your focus to be on what I believe is the reason for this miracle taking place. Now, Peter said to this man, such as I have, give I thee. Peter and John didn't have any money. They didn't have a lot of this world's goods. They weren't doctors who were skilled in restoring the ability to walk to people who had been lame all their life. So they had some things that maybe the world said were lacking, but Peter and John knew that they had something that could make a difference in this person's life. Which is why when Peter said, such as I have, give I thee, that's a significant statement. You know, you can't give something to someone that you don't have yourself, you understand. If you don't have money, you can't really give someone else money. I mean, unless you're the government. (laughs) If you don't have food, you can't give somebody else food. If you don't have a place to live, you can't 
give someone else the place to live. You see what I'm saying? You've got to have it before you can give it. And there's something here for us as we understand there's something that you need to have before you can give. Such as I have, give I thee. Now, four thoughts this morning about why this miracle took place. And it's all spelled out for us from verse 12 and following as Peter addressed this crowd The very first thing that he said in verse 12 to these people who gathered around wondering, why did this happen? What is going on? What does this all mean? We're trying to get to the bottom of this. And Peter saw it and he spoke to the people and he said, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Why are you so amazed? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk. You understand what Peter's saying, right? He says, you're looking at us like we're the source of power, and you're looking at the wrong guys. And this is a reminder, this is the very first thing I want you to understand, and the reason that this miracle took place is because God was trying to communicate a message about the reality of where power comes from. Power is not found in you and I. Power is not found in some kind of a religious exercise. Power is not found in, uh, in, in man's resources or abilities. Power is found somewhere else altogether. And obviously, what Peter is trying to point them to and get them to understand is that this was the result of the power of God. And I want, I want us to understand and really grapple with this in our mind that when we talk about people having needs, and this man had a, a physical need, but we're talking more about spiritual needs this morning. And when people have spiritual needs, you and I are really devoid of the power to solve people's problems. We're, we are devoid of the ability to take away the sting of loss and grief. We don't have the ability to lift the emotional burdens that people are carrying. Most of all, you and I do not have the ability to give someone eternal salvation. That is something that only God can do. However, what is also indicated in this passage is that God most certainly had worked through Peter and John. So that when Peter and John said, such as I have, give I thee, I believe what Peter was talking about was, we have the power of God. We have have the presence of God. We have the message of hope. And, And so he's focusing their attention as this crowd is gathered around on the fact that it's not about them, but it's about God who has given the power. And the focus of this miracle really is not just the physical restoration of this man's legs, although that was remarkable and got a lot of people's attention. The focus of the miracle instead is on the power of God. And I would also point out to you that in the passage, it seems very likely that this man had something more happen in him than just his legs being restored. Later, there will be an indication about what had happened in his heart. But I want you to understand that this man seems to have had 
not just an external change, but an internal change. Now, this is important because you and I need to understand, first of all, power comes from God. And then we also need to realize that God will use His power however He wants. He does not answer to you and I for how He uses His power, for what He does or what He does not do. Uh, we do not hold God accountable for what he, uh, what he dispenses of His power or how He works in people's lives. And many times you and I are so focused on the material and the physical needs that are around us that we miss the much deeper spiritual needs that people have. Sometimes we wrestle with, now why did God do it this way? And why didn't he do it that way? And why did, why did God fix this problem, but he didn't fix that problem? And you understand there's a reason that you and I aren't God. We don't understand these things. This is beyond our comprehension. And, and, and Peter really wanted to point the attention of this crowd away from the novelty of what happened and towards the predictability of God evidencing his power in this, in this world. So he's pointing their attention to the reality that power comes from God. But then he quickly warms to the subject at, at hand in verse 13. He's pointed their attention to God's power, but now he wants them to know that this, what has taken place, is all about the rejection of Jesus. You say, now, wait a second. How could a man getting healed have anything to do with the rejection of Jesus? Well, it has everything to do with it. So he begins to speak to them in verse 13 about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These Jewish men are saying, that's our God. That's the God that we worship. That's the one that, that, that we are in a covenant with. That's why we've come to this temple. He's the God of our fathers. And then Peter says in verse 13, This God hath glorified his son, Jesus. Oh, wait a second. He's glorified his son, Jesus. Now, in that theological system, to speak about Jesus as the son of God is to make him equal with God. That would also be biblical truth, by the way. So Peter is clearly stating to these men, you know, God is the one who gives the power to heal this man, and God is the one who glorified his son Jesus. And what did you do with Jesus? Well, verse 13, he says, you delivered him up. You denied him in the presence of Pilate. Pilate was going to let him go, and you insisted that Jesus had to be put to death. Verse 14, you denied the holy one and the just. You desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Instead, they cried out for Barabbas to be released and Jesus to be crucified. Verse 15, you killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead. You see how he's laying the charge at their feet. And he's saying, you say that you believe in the power of God. You say that you worship God. But when God sent his son... You rejected him. You denied him. You crucified him. You put him to death. Now, he goes on to say in verse 16 that the man who had been healed, it was through the name of Jesus that he had been healed. 
His name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. He says, look at this man. Look at him walking. Look at him jumping. Look what's happened to him. How did this happen? This happened through Jesus' name. Now follow the progression. This happened because of the power of God. This happened because of the name of Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying the name of Jesus is equal to the power of God. Jesus, the one that you denied, the one that you rejected, the one that you turned away from, he's the one who has all power. Now he goes on in verse 17 and he points out to these men who are his brethren according to the flesh, I wot, I suppose... I believe, that's what that word means, that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. Can you identify with this? Before you knew the Lord, were there some things that you did in ignorance, not knowing? And now you look back and you say, how could I have done that? Why would I have done that? And of course... It was rebellion against God and it was sin, but oftentimes it's just sheer ignorance, not knowing. He says, brethren, you thought that you were worshiping God. You thought you were doing the bidding of the God of our fathers and you actually were putting his son to death. You did it through ignorance. And in verse 18, he reminds them that the things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. So he's really drawing it in now and he's saying, don't you see how the things that Jesus went through are things that the prophets predicted, but you were the ones who rejected him. You were the ones who turned aside from him. So notice, as we think about this miracle, what did this miracle have to do with? Well, it had to do with the idea that people needed to understand that power comes from God. That's where the reality of power is found. But it also had to do with the fact that Jesus had been rejected. In fact, we could go so far as to say the reason that this man had been healed in this dramatic fashion on this particular day, at this particular time, was to draw attention of a crowd of people to the fact that they had rejected Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Romans that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. You know, many times God is gracious and merciful to work in our lives or in the world around us in a, in a way that we can observe and we can see and we can know that the power of God is real. And he does that so that we will come to the place of understanding, I'm not right with God and I need to be right with God. Now, many people see miracles as novelties. They see them as something that, oh, like a sideshow at a carnival or something that will just attract attention. But God always has a purpose when he does miracles. And in this case, his intention is to draw people's attention to Jesus. 
Jesus, the one who had died. Jesus, the one who was rejected. Jesus, the one who had fulfilled the prophecies. Yes, Jesus, the one who had raised from the dead. And now, the evidence has been laid down before these people. You have rejected Jesus, and you ought to pay attention to who he is. But now, continue on to verse 19. Not only is this miracle about the reality of God's power and about the responsibility for those who had rejected Jesus Christ, but in verse 19, he places a challenge and a command before them, and he says to them, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. The third reason that this took place is because repentance is necessary for all. The call is cried by by the Apostle Peter, it's time to get right with God. Yes, the goodness of God had been seen in this man's life. Yes, they had seen a miracle. But this was to draw their attention to Jesus, to realize they were not right with God, and for the thought to strike them. We need to repent. We need to get right with God. You know, it's true that many times the crises that people face in their lives and the subsequent work that God may do in that crisis will often be used to draw people's attention to the fact that there are people who are not right with God. There are people who are in rebellion against God. They've rejected Jesus Christ. And the time has come that all men everywhere should repent. If you have never repented and turned to Jesus Christ in faith, today is the day of salvation. There's not a one of us that can say, well, I don't need to repent. I'm a, I'm a fine, upstanding person. I, I'm a good guy. I, I've kept the law. No, my friend, there's not a one of us that can say, I've never sinned. All of us have broken God's law. All of us find ourselves guilty before the God of heaven. And there is a necessity for us to obey the gospel and to repent, to turn from our sins and our self-sufficiency. What will happen if they repent, according to verse 19, He says that your sins may be blotted out. What sins? Do you know what sins he's talking about? These are the very people who put Jesus Christ on the cross. They are the very ones who watched him and cried out to Pilate when he said, I'll just release him. And they said, don't you dare crucify him. We don't want him. And God says, he wants to forgive their sins. He wants their sins to be blotted out. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes people say, I've just done too many sins. I'm too bad of a person. God could never save me. My sins could never be forgiven. Are you serious? You know, God wanted to forgive the very people who put Jesus on the cross. Do you think that if God could forgive them and wanted to forgive them, that somehow forgiveness will not be available for you? But Peter says there's a need for repentance. And what will happen 
is not only that the sins will be blotted out, but also the times of refreshing shall come. And what he's referring to is the reality of relationship with God. He's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about having God be real in your life. You see, up to this point, these people had been religious. They, they, were, they were moral people. They had gone through the motions of, of a form of religion, but they didn't have a real relationship with God. But Jesus came so that our sins could be forgiven and so that we could have a real relationship with God. But we must repent if that's going to take place. So what is this miracle all about? It's a miracle that's calling people to repentance. And then fourth of all, in verses 20 through 26, what is this miracle all about? Why did Peter give this man such as I have? Well, fourth of all, he's warning these people about the return of Jesus Christ. You see, the very same Jesus that they had rejected that they had turned aside from, that they had insisted on crucifying, and he had died, but he also had raised from the dead. And now he goes on in verse 20 and following to remind them that this Jesus who came before and you rejected, he's coming again. He warns them in verse number 20, he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. You say, what is that talking about? It means that right now, Jesus is even now in heaven, in the presence of God the Father, but one day he's coming again. And when he comes again, what's going to take place is what he mentioned there in verse 21, the times of restitution of all things. You say, what is that all about? Judgment. Judgment. You see, this one who came to provide mercy and forgiveness and gave himself and shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven and blotted out, he's also the God of judgment. And one day, for those who reject Jesus Christ and turn aside from him and refuse his offer of mercy, he's coming back and it's going to be a time of restitution. That means people are going to get what is coming to them. You say, what is that? Condemnation, judgment, destruction. By the way, that's what we all deserve. And if you're saved this morning, you're saved in spite of the fact that you deserve that only because Jesus already paid the price for that. And you've put your faith in him. So he reminds these people, Jesus is coming back. He even reminds them... In verse number 22, verse 21 and 22, that this is something that the prophets had spoken about. This is not a mystery. This is something that's in the Old Testament. The the prophets had predicted that the time was coming, that this would take place. He reminds them that the time is coming when judgment will fall upon this earth. And of course, these These men, being Jewish, being Hebrew, would think of themselves, well, we're the people of God. The judgment's not going to fall on us because we're the covenant people. But Peter is saying to them, no, you're responsible for taking the life of Jesus Christ. And this judgment is going to fall on you. You need to get right with God. He goes on in verse 25 
And he says to them, Ye are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. You say, now what is he talking about? He's talking about judgment. He's talking about Jesus coming back. But he's telling them that there is hope in the midst of this promise of judgment. He's telling them, you, your generation, you are actually the fulfillment of the promise that God made to our father Abraham. God wants to bless the whole world through Abram's seed. And God wants to do this through you if you'll only obey the gospel. Then in verse 26, he says this, Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. Now, I want you to think about what that means for just a minute. Jesus was sent first to the Jewish people, wasn't he? He himself was born into a Jewish family of Jewish lineage. And he came first to the covenant people of God so that they could know who he was and receive him. He came to bless them. Understand that when Jesus comes, he comes with the intention of blessing. What kind of blessing? In turning away every one of you from his iniquities. He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. He's come to deliver man from his iniquities and from the penalty of that iniquity. And you understand that as he's speaking about the return of Jesus, there certainly is a a sense of judgment that is impending, of a serious accountability to God, but there also is an offer of mercy. So often people will say to me, Pastor, I just, I cannot... I I don't like the book of Revelation. It's such a heavy book and it's so hard to understand and it seems like God is so angry. And you know the truth is there's a lot in there about the wrath of God. But all through the book of Revelation, there are reminders of God's intention to forgive, to restore, and to bless. And this is an astounding truth about our God. Peter wanted these people to know this miracle is about the fact that Jesus is coming back. Now follow the progression. This miracle has happened. He wants them to know this miracle is about the power of God. This is not about man. This isn't about a new church that somehow if you get to be a member, then you could have this kind of power. That's not what this is about. This is about, this is about the power of God. This This miracle is about Jesus, the crux of the matter. The central issue is, what have you done with Jesus? In this case, they've rejected him. They've crucified him. They've turned aside from him. This miracle is about the need for repentance to get right with God. And this miracle is about the fact that this very same Jesus that has been rejected is returning. And if you don't repent, you're going to stand before him as your judge. This is a very serious matter. You need to get right with God. In other words, here's this man who's been healed, who's been given a temporary restoration to his legs. Did you hear what I said? Every physical miracle is a temporary restoration. 
The time was coming when this man would die and his body would go in the grave. You think about Lazarus who was raised from the dead. And it was a great miracle that Jesus did in his ministry. But the time would come eventually when Lazarus would die and his body would be buried. What were those miracles about? They were not an end in and of themselves. We often think of miracles in this way. In fact, sometimes we pray, and I want to I really draw our attention here for just a couple minutes before we close the message. Think about this. We have a loved one who's sick. We have someone who's gone through a great trial, and we want God to deliver them, and we, and we pray for them, and we should. And sometimes God will deliver, and he will restore health to someone who is ill. Sometimes he'll... he'll uh, give an answer to prayer and he'll, he'll undo a problem that's in someone's life and give them clarity and peace and set them on a the right path. And those are wonderful things. But sometimes I feel like the way that many people, even professing Christians, look at God is as if he's some kind of a giant Santa Claus in the sky to do the things that I want him to do to make my life nicer and easier. Even when God works... In miraculous or supernatural ways, it is always because he has a purpose. He has, he has something that he's up to. And what he is up to is always going to center around the person of Jesus Christ and the fact that people need to be saved. Amen. Think about it with me for just a minute. If we had the kind of power that we could go around and heal people and solve all of their problems and just give them money and health and vitality and strength, what good would that do if they never got right with God? But many people, they feel that's, that's why God exists, is to do good things for me and make me happy and give me the kind of life that I want. And I'll ask you the question that Jesus asked to people who were gathered around. What is a man advantaged if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Ultimately, if you never get right with God, then all the things that you have had and all the blessings that you have enjoyed in this life will be for naught. The most important issue revolves around the question, what have you done with Jesus? And what will you do with Jesus? This morning, if you can identify in your life that you have rejected Jesus, that you have rebelled against God's law, that you are not right with Him, you say, what must I do? What should I do? You should repent and get right with God. You should turn from your sin and your own trying to save yourself, and you should turn to Jesus Christ and come to Him and accept on His terms the salvation that He offers. That's what you ought to do. It's all about Jesus. You say, well, what if I don't want to get right with Him? Well, He'll not force you to get right with Him. But one day you'll stand before Him. One day He'll be your righteous judge, and you ought to prepare yourself for the fact that this life is not all there is. 
You see, all of this was exactly why this miracle took place. This is why Peter said to this man, silver and gold have I none. I can't solve that. Such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Why? So that Jesus would be magnified. Now, many of you are here this morning and you say, Pastor, I know that I've been saved. I remember when I repented. I I know that Jesus is real to me. I know that I have a a real relationship with God. Praise the Lord for that. But now I want you to just contemplate some of the events that are taking place in your life. And understand that what God is always up to with His people is He is trying to help us make a big deal about Jesus. So whatever burden you might be bearing, whatever trial you might be walking through, no no matter what heartache you might be carrying today, remember that the place where you are, God knows where you're at and He wants to make you an example of what the gospel can do. He wants people to know through your testimony that the power of God is real. And that God still saves people through the power of Jesus Christ. This morning, I I think the implication of Acts chapter 3 is we should look to Jesus. We should pay attention to Jesus. We should worship Jesus. We should make sure that we're right with Jesus. Because as it turns out, He is the central issue. He is the central focus. And He is the one that we have as believers. Do you know that? If we were to say, such as I have, give I thee, what can we give people that we have? Jesus. And Jesus makes all the difference in someone's life. 